0: I think everybody loves new things. Uh, in answer to Joe's question, did you have anything uh, new for Christmas? One of the things that I started doing a few years ago is um, I, I got a little moleskin journal that I use to kind of organize my time to think through what sort of things I need to do each week, and uh, it's been a helpful resource to to write down prayer requests and these kinds of things. And so for Christmas, I got a new uh, moleskin journal, and I loved opening that up and just looking at all the blank pages and what that represented. Uh, I love when a, a favorite band of mine or a favorite artist releases uh, new music. I love uh, listening to that new music and seeing how they incorporate new sounds into uh, their, their traditional sound, how that compares to other records that they've put out. Uh, for years now, Sonny and I have loved watching these home renovation TV shows. Maybe you've uh, watched some of these before. It was maybe 10 years ago or so. Uh, The first one that we started watching was called Trading Spaces. Anybody remember that one? Uh, It kind of put... The, the channel TLC on the map and uh, the, the idea was basically the same that you see in all these other uh, home renovation shows but uh, after Trading Spaces there was Extreme Home Makeover and now uh, you know there are whole whole channels dedicated to these kinds of programs like uh, Flip or Flop or, or House Hunters and these kinds of things. One of our, our shows that we've started watching recently is called Fixer Upper and it's on HGTV and uh, the show again. It, there's nothing new happening here uh, relative to some of these other programs. But on, on Fixer Upper, these two, um, this married couple, Chip and Joanna Gaines, they're the stars of the show, and they operate this this business out of Waco, Texas. And in the most recent episode, they they took these uh, this couple around and showed them two or three different properties. And you probably, if you've seen the show, you know how it goes. They'll go to to these beautiful. Uh, maybe it's a beautiful property in and of itself with several uh, acres that are just, you know, beautiful, but the home itself is a fixer-upper, obviously, and so they, they walked into this one farmhouse out, out in Waco, Texas, and I mean, the thing was just run down, just dilapidated, and there are holes in the floor, and the, the, you know, the ceiling's falling apart, and it's just one of these things you would, you would hardly walk into, okay, but over the course of that 60-minute program, What they do is they completely gut and renovate it. In this particular home, they actually flip the floor plan all the way around, and by the time they're done, they've taken what was old and worn down, and they have renewed it, they have renovated it with a little bit of imagination and a lot of hard work and, uh, most importantly, a lot of cash. They go in and they turn those properties into something that is just absolutely beautiful, stunning. Hardwood floors, granite countertops, uh, stainless steel appliances, you know the the whole thing. So what what is it about uh, new things that causes us to that causes all this to resonate with us so so greatly? Why why are we infatuated with new things? Whether it's a, it's a new gift or if it's new music or even if you've ever owned a brand new car and, and we talk about what the the new car smell, we are just drawn to that because there's something new and. And even with programs like this, the premise is the same in every one of these shows. None of them are doing anything new, but it is the act of watching renovation and renewal that really resonates with us. Have you ever wondered why? I think we love new things because that's the hope of creation. And that's what I want us to spend our time thinking about and talking about together this morning. The book of Ecclesiastes is the most existential writing in the Bible. Uh, The writer of Ecclesiastes, he identifies himself to us as the teacher. And as he opens up Ecclesiastes chapter 1 there, he is lamenting that things just stay the same. He's he's lamenting that, that this relentless sameness of his circumstances, it never seems to change. This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes has to say. As he opens up in this this teaching, he says, What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? And it goes on and on from there, chapter after chapter. If you read through Ecclesiastes, the the writer of Ecclesiastes, he's going to note the vanity of life. You can almost hear the weariness in his voice, can't you? As he talks about the things that we we often want to put a lot of stock into, he systematically goes through and says basically, nope, it's not that. Those things are all meaningless. Apart from the final line or two in Ecclesiastes, you'd walk away thinking there's not much meaning at all in life. And for the writer of Ecclesiastes, he's going to say, well, apart from the ending there, That the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commands. Apart from that, he's going to say, yeah, life is fairly meaningless. But in particular, he says things don't seem to change. Just over and over, you know, it's like everything sort of stays the same. And he's lamenting that at the beginning of Ecclesiastes. And today, we acknowledge that some of us limp into this new year feeling kind of the same way. You know, the calendar might say 2017, we might have rolled over into a, a new year and, and a new calendar, but for some of us we're feeling like nothing has really changed because our problems are still persistent. Those problems are still there, and they haven't changed one iota, and there's just weariness, right there's weariness for us when we recognize that, and kind of like the writer of Ecclesiastes, we might feel a little weary we might feel a little a little beaten down here. We might feel kind of like he does when we look around and say, "You know I'm not sure that, that much of anything has, has changed here. Nothing seems to be new. And we can acknowledge, when we gather together as a family, there are some of us who, who are feeling this, even right now. But as Matt reminded us two weeks ago on New Year's Day, as, as he preached to us and shared God's Word with us, he reminded us of a promise that God makes to his people. It's a promise that's found on the last page of our Bible, But it is a promise that is as relevant today as it was on the day that John heard and saw this vision and the day that he recorded this for us. And it's a word that really kind of helps to to counterbalance maybe what the teacher has to say in this particular moment. God himself says there in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, behold, I am making all things new. And what a beautiful, hope-filled promise god makes to us before we close our bibles and walk away from the word that we've heard we hear this final promise from god i'm making all things new and that first word there is an important one behold some translations don't translate it behold instead it uses a word that is maybe more common in our everyday language look but the meaning is still the same right that god says here look and see with your own eyes what i am doing and there's a, a present tense nature to this promise, isn't there? He says, I am making all things new. And there are some who would want to kick the, the fulfillment of that promise all the way down the line. But, but my point for us today is to, to hear these words as God's promise to us and to note that God is at work today, folks, bringing about renewal and transformation and doing the kinds of things that only God himself can do to bring about the renewal in our hearts, sometimes, sometimes it's just a matter of whether or not we're looking for it. Whether or not we will have the eyes to see what God is doing. Behold, he says, look, I'm making all things new. Because apparently, apparently God likes new things too. God's promise here, I believe, begins with us. When we read these words and we talk about God making all things new, I think that that promise begins here with you and me as God's people, as the church that Jesus Christ bought and purchased with his own life and death and resurrection. This promise begins here with us because we are God's new creation in the world. That God is doing something through us, through his people. He's declaring to the world his power to create something new. We are, in fact, that new creation. That's the message that you find running throughout the New Testament. I want to show you a couple of places here from the New Testament just to kind of emphasize uh, this particular point. In Ephesians chapter 2, we find these words from God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In particular, he's talking about Gentiles who are outside that covenant relationship with God. But he could just as well be talking about all humanity because of the sin that is a part of our our lives. And so he's, he's talking about how God is at work through the power of the cross to bring us to him. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility and setting aside the law. Look at what he says next. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, he says, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So we see here that in the cross of Christ, God is at work creating something new. That It is through the cross that God creates this new humanity. He takes Jew and Gentile and forms them into one new people. And that makes the cross really significant for us. It means that the cross is more than simply atonement for sin, although it most certainly is that, as we've just remembered. But the cross also is God's fulcrum for reconciliation. It is the power that He uses there to unite us together in Christ. So through the cross, the word says, God's made a new people. A new humanity, use Paul's term here. And he's destroyed this hostility that has divided these two groups, these two, these two camps. Maybe we want to put it a little bit differently. According to the word of God, the gospel makes family members out of total strangers. The gospel makes family members out of complete and total strangers. There, there are some, some elements of our lives that we might have shared in common if it weren't for this church, if it weren't for our common uh, relationship in Christ. I don't know where you live. You know, the person on the pew next to you, you might live down the road from them. You might belong to the same civic group. Maybe your kids played t-ball together. I don't know. We, our paths might have crossed somewhere or another along the way here, but what I do know is this, that the fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ pales to any other fellowship that we might have, and if it weren't for the blood of Christ, if it weren't for the cross, We wouldn't wouldn't have much in common. Because it is the cross that unites us together. It is that blood of Jesus that makes us family. It takes complete and total strangers, those who are outside, those who are far away, and brings them near and makes us, knits us together as one new person, as one new community, one new humanity, according to the word of God. That's what God does through the cross. And that same point is emphasized elsewhere in a passage like Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Then this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So here we see that among God's new creation people all of those old identifying marks begin to kind of melt away they're they're moved to the background they're no longer the primary way in which we might identify ourselves and instead here the primary category for understanding ourselves and others is this we're in christ that we're children of god and that identity has to count for something in fact a better way is, that identity has to count for everything because it trumps all other ways that we might have of categorizing ourselves and, and classifying ourselves and thinking about ourselves and those around us. So once again, it's, it's not as if once you become a Christian, you cease being either male or female or slave or free, Jew or Gentile. No, those categories you still live with, it's just that they're moved to the background. And the primary identifying mark for you now, the lens through which you see yourself and others is this, that you child of god and you're part of his new creation people and as you move through the rest of the new testament you see all of the richness in which the word hits us with this that that as god's people we have certain identifying marks paul will go on to say there in galatians that the holy spirit is alive and active and working in our lives working to bear fruit in our lives and that fruit it looks like love and joy and peace Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. One or two that I probably left out because I'm not singing the song, right? It's all those things that the Holy Spirit is at work doing, bringing about in our lives. Paul says that's what the new community looks like. It looks like those things, right? And in, in Ephesians, he'll tell us that as we're part of that new community, we adopt this new identity, we begin to view ourselves as the workmanship of God. That we're created to do good stuff. We're created to do the good things in the world that he has prepared in advance for us. Since, since before creation, Paul alludes to, God's had these great and glorious works prepared for us to engage in as this new community alive and active in God's world. And most of all, more than anything else, this new community, this new humanity, it bears the mark of God's eternal love. A love that is at once patient patient and kind, a love that always hopes and always trusts and always perseveres, a love that never fails. All of those things are part of what it means for us to be made new, for us to be renewed in light of what God is doing at the cross in Jesus Christ. He'll say that God's people are now a reconciling community, that we are ambassadors of this kind of eternal love that has made us a family here, guys, because if anyone is in Christ... And then, then the new creation is here. The old is gone and the new has taken its place. We are indeed God's new creation people. And we bear witness to the fact that the gospel, the gospel has changed us, it has transformed us, it's made us new and alive and something different than we would have been otherwise. Behold, he says, I am making all things new. Again, the question is, are we seeing what God Is doing. Over the holidays, I read Neil White's fantastic memoir called In the Sanctuary of Outcasts. Neil White was convicted of bank fraud in the 90s and he spent 12 months from the spring of 1993 to the spring of 1994. He spent that time incarcerated in a minimum security facility, the Federal Medical Center in Carville, Louisiana. What made this incarceration unique was that White referred to it as a convergence of cultures where you had federal inmates and prison guards going about their 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 work for the guards and carrying out their sentence for the inmates they're doing all that right alongside a community of 130 leprosy patients at the nation's last leprosarium see they housed inmates on one side of the campus and then on the other side there are these leprosy patients or the preferred term that they prefer is, is hansen's disease patients and so White writes about this encounter where he is, uh, he is among the, the outcasts of society and culture. He spends these 12 months, again, as a, as a federal inmate, but he has this transformative experience among his fellow inmates and among these Hansen's disease patients. And, and, he, and he writes about this experience. that is a far cry from his world as a, as a high-end banker, his world of starched white shirts and five-star dining he finds himself now Surrounded by this different community. And faith is one of the, the central themes that emerges in, in White's convergence of cultures. He says that something happened to him while he was there in prison. And in particular, something happened to him while he was worshiping and studying the Bible in the chapel there on the campus of the Federal Medical Center. And as he says, as he sat among his fellow inmates and those uh, Hansen's disease patients, he says he finally was able to come to grips with his own pride. You see, prior to his conviction, White said that he, he went to church, but it was just ornamental. It was just window dressing. He went to church because he lived in the deep south. He lived in the Bible Belt, and it was good for business <laughs> to be able to tell people that he, he, he went to church. But it's here in prison, he says, where, where he is able to finally admit the reality of his brokenness he writes about sitting on one side of this little chapel surrounded with by all of his fellow inmates and they all know their grievances they all know what they've done to get them there everybody knows you know what what are you in here for so there's no pretense there he talks about the experience of looking across the aisle and seeing those men and women who were these hansen's disease patients who who are broken maybe not so much emotionally like the inmates were, but but broken physically. He talks about how some of them were just disfigured. They're lame, they're blind, that physically the, the issues that they're dealing with. And he says it was in that place where, where everybody's brokenness was just on full display and everybody was worshiping together and there's no place to hide. He says, I finally came to grips with my pride and my sin of self-advancement. I was finally able to let the mask down and admit who I was and admit who God was. And he says that experience, being a part of that new community, was transformative for him. One of the most meaningful relationships that White um, developed while he was there uh, at this, this uh, facility was with an 80-year-old Hansen's disease patient named Ella, who was a resident there at Carville for, for nearly 70 years he said prior to his release, Ella sat him down and in the kind of the sweet uh, motherly kind of way with her, uh, with her finger in his face, she, she told him, she said, now when you get out of here, you need to find you a church. <laughs> she said, I, I've watched you change and I've watched you grow and, and I want you to find a church when you leave here. And so he you know, says, yes, ma'am. And, 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 he, and he later writes about the importance of this conversation. He says at some point, After I settled in the outside world, I would take Ella's advice and I would find a church. Not just any church, a place like the church at Carville. You might say a place like the the church in prison, where the parishioners were broken and chipped and cracked, a place to go when I needed help, a place to ask forgiveness, a sacred place where people were not consumed with image or money. He says, I didn't know if a church like this existed, but if it did, I would go. And I would pray. Not the kind of prayers I used to say for miracles or money or advancement, I would ask for something more simple. I would pray for recollection. Pray that I would never forget. It's in this place where White is able to take the mask off where everyone's brokenness is on full display. It's in a place like that where, where he realizes that he can be made new. It's this convergence of culture, this, this community where, where there is no pretense. Again, where everyone's sins are acknowledged, where everyone's brokenness is on display, where, where help is both asked for and freely given. That really resonates with me. It resonates with me as, as a beautiful description of the kind of community that god that god can facilitate the kind of community again where we find what we're looking for deep down you know i think i think really ultimately we're all looking for a place to belong i think every one of us is looking for a place where we can be ourselves where we can can let the, the our guard down just a little bit we can take the mask off and and be real and be ourselves and 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 we talk to people you know who who maybe kind of like Neil White, are honest enough to admit that and say, yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm looking for. But does does a place like that exist? Does does a church like that exist? Does a community like that exist? And as we read through the the Gospels, I think the answer is absolutely. I think think Christ offered himself up so that we would have that kind of communal life together. So we would know each other in a deep way, not just as people who occupy the same pew for an hour or so every week, but, but as a family. And that's the language that you see in Scripture. That's the language God comes to us with. He says, I'm Father, this is Son, and I want you to be a part of that family. I want you to be a child of God. That has so, such deeper implications than the way we as, as North Americans tend to think about church membership, you know? We're supposed to be a family. And family, that's where you go. Take the mask off. Again, the gospel says that total strangers can become family. It's the message of the gospel. So it's this—it's this picture. This picture of the the faithful and the pious right alongside the, the criminals and the pariahs. That's the convergence of cultures that I think we see alive in the New Testament. When you see Jesus. In the Gospels and the people that he is interacting with, you see the kind of community that he creates. And it is indeed a a convergence of cultures as well. He traffics among all kinds of people Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles, the rich and the poor, adults and children, the healthy and the sick, the pious and the shady. Jesus spends time with them all. Jesus teaches them all. He laughs with them all. He cries with them all. He loves them all. And his word to each one of them is the same word that he delivers to us. And basically what, for my money, is, is the, the seminal passage in the New Testament about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Christ. He says this, And if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me i think if we're going to see what god is doing if if we're going to be a part of god's new creation i think it begins here begins with these words it begins with with following jesus as god's new creation people i think we're, we're formed by our response to this particular teaching as we wrap up things here this morning i just want to share with you two Two questions that I think um, that that frame a response to what Jesus teaches us here. I think these are are two questions that uh, we ask ourselves these questions every day. These are questions, I think, for renewal. If we're going to be the new community that God wants us to be corporately, it begins at that individual level. It begins with us being new creations on an individual level. So, So Chris has already talked to us about New Year's resolutions, right? And I forget the percentages, but most of us don't keep those. So I know I'm a little bit late getting this to you, uh, but the good thing is, is maybe you've already tried a few New Year's resolutions and found them lacking, you've already given up on them, so maybe I'm hitting, hitting you at just the right time, you know, for you to be able to, to adopt a few new things into your, into your walk with Christ for this year. I just want to ask you two simple questions as we think about being the community that God wants us to be. How will I deny myself today? How will I take up my cross today? I know he says take up your cross daily, but before that he says you have, to, you have to empty yourself. You have to deny yourself, and I think there's a daily implication for that as well. I would like to ask you to just pray about these questions. I'd like to ask you to you know, write them down on a post-it note and put them somewhere where you can see them. I'd like to ask you just to, to, to ruminate for a while on the, the power of these questions, not so much because I'm closing out a sermon by asking you that, because, but because I think, I think that's what we do when we follow Jesus. I think we take him seriously, and I think he would have us consider this. So, so how will I, as, as God's new creation, how will I deny myself today? What sort of things do I need to let go of? What sort of things do I need to lay down today? Because, because I want to tell the world that I'm a follower of Christ. You know, it's, it's no accident that he says before you can take up your cross, there are some things that you have to deny yourself. There's some things you have to let go of. There are some things that, that I need to let slip through my fingers so that I can hold on to the cross. So what would those things be for you? Where will I deny myself today? You know, I think that question keeps us out of a whole lot of trouble. If I could just pause and consider and ask myself, is this something that I really need to do? Is this, is this a way for me to take up my cross and follow? Or is this something that I might ought to deny myself on? And if we can create that habit, to use Chris's language, the habit of asking ourselves that kind of question daily, we begin to become more fully that new creation that God calls us to be and likewise it's not just about self-denial but this how will I take up my cross today what opportunities is God bringing to me today opportunities for me to love someone opportunities for for me to share what's in my heart with someone an opportunity for me to tell somebody else about the faith that I have about the reason for my hope what opportunities are there? Maybe that's precisely where my cross-bearing takes me on that particular day. Maybe it has more to do with loving somebody in my life who's just really difficult to love. We all have somebody in our life like that. So it might just be that simple act of, of carrying my cross just means showing love to this person. Maybe it's, maybe it's modeling the self-sacrificial spirit of Jesus. We can't die for each other's sins, but we can sure live in light of what Jesus has done for us. So what would it be? I don't know. I just know these are the kinds of questions that bring about godly, spiritual renewal in our lives. And if we could be asking ourselves these questions, I think God will be faithful to lead us, to help us become the new creation people he calls us to be. Maybe today you need to deny yourself and follow Jesus and give yourself fully over to his lead and his call in your life. If so, we would rejoice, we would celebrate, it would be our honor to bear witness to that, to join in that, to celebrate that with you. Maybe that's part of what, maybe that's why you're here today, I don't know. Maybe there's some things you need to just deny yourself, some things you need to let go of, some things you've been clinging to too too tightly that, that are just being really, really bad for you maybe that you're not being spiritually formed in the right way because you've been white knuckling a few things some fears some doubts some bad habits i don't know in a minute you'll see your shepherds throughout the room there'll be a few up front there'll be some in the back they're in the balcony and they're there just to be available to you if it would bless you to talk with one of them and to pray with one of them privately that's why they're there so you can seek them out as well and certainly if you need to stand up today in front of these men and women who are here but also before that great cloud of witnesses beyond and declare for the first time the lordship of jesus over your life you're going to deny yourself but make him lord of your life and to begin that that practice of taking up that cross daily and following him if that needs to happen today again we would love to share in your joy if you need to respond in any way to the love of god i hope you'll do that let's stand and sing our song together Bring Christ your...